Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, it's a summer blowout, baby. We didn't mean to do three movies, but we totally did. We're talking about Transformers, Rise of the Beasts, Elemental, and The Flash. Andy, how did this happen? <laughs> like, we never do three movies. Very rarely do we do three movies. Uh, well, it's summer. Uh, it's the summer of blockbusters. This is when a lot of big stuff is coming out. And uh, it's just, it's the popular thing. Lots of people are doing it. Uh I also had a significant other request to see Elemental, which we, <laughs> so I got roped into seeing it, even though I didn't same, want to. So. Same. It's fine, though. Hey, what, what better reason to go to the movies, right, than for date night? Like, Andy and I both had different experiences. We both went and saw Elemental. Uh, not bad things to say about it, honestly. I, I think that Disney trailer, might have they might have done them dirty a little bit. Uh, but before we get to all those, we need to talk about uh, the news. Uh, the first thing this week, regarding Netflix's uh, password crackdown, bad news, it's working. God, I can't believe this. <laughs> <laughs> this bums me out. Uh, for anybody who's not wise to it, Andy, what is this Netflix password sharing thing that's been going on? Uh, so in late May, Netflix rolled out their password anti-password sharing measures, which uh, said if you were outside of the have household, uh, you were going to either have to pay for additional users at a reduced rate, or those people were going to have to get their own uh, subscription. And we all thought that this was a very... Um, unpopular move we were very vocally against it uh but i, I do remember saying you know netflix has they the ones have have the data so maybe they know something we don't and apparently that they do they ended up having a, like a net 25 percent gain in signups over the last uh, few weeks in in may Seventy-three thousand a day signups between may 25th and 28th so massive, massive uh, amount of signups, more than even during uh, COVID when everyone was locked down and at home. So while this measure looked like it was going to be really unpopular, it actually worked. I'm really disappointed in this. Um, you know, being able to share passwords has formerly been a free service that's been a part of having a Netflix account, just like HBO or Amazon and any other. And Netflix has proven that we can now monetize that, which usually uh give you know give it a couple months and see if the numbers level out or anything but for if, if it keeps going the way it's been going um everybody's gonna do this right like it won't be long till warner brothers has hbo cracking down on passwords amazon will do it maybe some of them will say oh if you get peacock you can share with everybody we're cool with that like some will go one way and some will go the other but like it's just another way to squeeze people for like a service we already had and it's a bummer like i i don't i don't like that we have to pay extra for passwords um, I don't know though. Uh, apparently, Netflix likes it. This is the way of the future, right, Andy? Yeah, I mean, it worked. We all said, "Well, everyone will boycott. People will cancel." Yeah, I canceled. Um, and uh, well, apparently, not enough people canceled. I mean, people did cancel, but the number of sign up signups outweighed the number of cancellations. So overall, it was a success. And you better believe that the rest of the streaming services will probably jump on board. Huge W from Netflix. Huge L for the rest of us. Uh, keep it here on Offscript for more. I, I don't know. I, 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 I hope the numbers go down. I hope they start losing subs and go, oh, no, this doesn't work. But, like, it seems like it is. Um, never put it past uh, <laughs> the average American content viewer to uh, pay extra where they can. Uh, our next story this week, Disney is moving their schedule around. Uh, Avatar 3 has been pushed back to 2025. They claim they've got two Star Wars movies coming for 2026. Marvel's getting pushed around. Andy, what's going on, right? Typically, when Disney moves their schedule, it involves a lot of features because they've got a big schedule of films. But this seems like quite large, at least worth reporting on. 
everything is getting moved, at least some. This is largely in part because of the writer's strike, um, because they're delaying production on several of the upcoming movies, uh, specifically Captain America Brave New World and the Thunderbolts movie. Uh, those have both been pushed about six months uh, to late 2024. That's those are kind of the big ones, but then there are some massive, massive moves. Avatar three got pushed a year uh, to uh, Christmas twenty twenty five, but the the fourth and fifth Avatar movies have now been pushed to twenty twenty nine and twenty thirty one, which is just absurd to like. To me, anything announced more than a year, you're you're really just playing a guessing game because so much can happen with production and delays and uh, directors and talent drops out. Uh, so, I mean, you trying to guess something eight years in the future might as well be 80 years in the future. Like, who knows when that's going to come out? Yeah. Anything like longer than it, Yeah. Anything longer than a year is who knows? Yeah, there's absolutely nothing certain in here. Uh, I did get a laugh. Somebody was interviewing Zoe Saldana when this news dropped, and they asked her, hey, uh, it sounds like Avatar 5 just had its release date pushed back to 2031. What do you think about that? She said, cool, that movie will come out when I'm like 57. Great. <laughs> it's it's such an insane run because of how long it takes those movies like from shooting to do all the posts, do all the CGI. Um, and it's funny just thinking about Avatar 3 because they actually have shot most of it. Uh, I think in that same interview, Saldana was explaining that they have about 70% of the movie done just because they shot three all right around when they shot two. Uh, Cameron said it's because he didn't want the actors to age up much, even the ones who aren't doing CGI. You could think of like Spider, <laughs> the live action kid, uh, who is yeah, who is much older now and is in Scream 6 and looks like a completely different person. So I don't know how they, I guess there's going to be a big time jump between Avatar 3 and 4. Wild stuff happening over at Disney, and that's just one franchise. Uh, Blade is getting moved to 2025, which is insane because Blade was supposed to start shooting like last year, and it's still up in the air. Uh, they've got this untitled Alien movie they're talking about moving around. Uh, Star Wars is, uh, who knows what's happening with Star Wars? Like monumental moves from Disney, I guess. Uh, and it's nice to hear in a small way that all of that's a result of writers who just want a fair shake. Like, I, I don't think that's a bad thing, but. Uh, regardless of them trying to get around the writer strike, like it, it seems like it's starting to creep up, you know. And I wonder if other studios are going to start to move things around too. Well, this is exactly you know what you want from a strike. You want it to to hurt the the business, and that's uh, that's what these delays. And I mean, some of these are, I mean, years. The the, the Avatar five was supposed to be at, at in twenty twenty nine, so that's already moved two years. I mean, that's not going to come out to twenty forty. Let's be real. Uh, the two big Avengers films, Avengers of Kang Dynasty and Avengers Secret Wars, have also been pushed a year. One of the big uh, kind of head-scratching announcements was that uh, there will be two Star Wars movies planned for uh, 2025. Um, or 2026, rather. May and Dece December. But we never know because Star Wars projects are announced and canceled every other month. and uh, It's crazy. And uh, so many projects have been announced, uh, talent has been attached, and then it completely falls apart. Um, but this, the first, the one that's closest is whatever this Daisy Ridley, where she's like 15 years older in Master Jedi, whatever. Um, we'll we'll see. Um, we may never see another Star Wars film again. Disney is so scared to press go on on a Star Wars movie.
Yeah, they have announced and subsequently quietly canceled more Star Wars movies than they've made at this point. Like, Disney is very good at saying, we're going to make a Star Wars movie with Patty Jenkins, director of Wonder Woman, or Damon Lindelof, writer of Lost, or David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, writers of Game of Thrones, or a trilogy with Ryan Johnson. None of those things have happened. All of them have been canned. Nothing has moved forward. Taika Waititi is supposed to have a Star Wars movie in theaters this December, and he hasn't even written the thing yet. Like, it's so weird what they're doing with Star Wars. Uh, uh, nobody knows. <laughs> it's all up in the air. But keep it here on Offscript for more from, uh, you know, monumental box office moves. And, and more from that writer strike when we hear. Uh, so far, no changes. Uh, one more story this week. Uh, the Flash and Elemental are going to have a tough week at the box office. Uh, despite making, what, 50-something million dollars for The Flash? Uh, that is not enough. To justify that movie coming out, it's a really expensive feature. Elemental has the same problem. What's going on, Andy? Are our summer blockbusters getting iced out? Yes, yeah, so a lot of competition. I mean, you have last week's Transformers, Riders of the Beast. Before that, uh, Spider-Man. Now we said No Way Home. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. The whole lot of competition. Uh, but you got the newcomers in coming in way under expectations. Like you said, the Flash came in at, at fifty-five million. They were hoping to get around seventy, which is still really low because it had a two hundred twenty million dollar production budget, which means it probably needs to make half a billion dollars to uh, be profitable or even break break even. So there's no way it gets even close to that. They're saying it's open less uh, weaker than Black Adam from last summer, which Black Adam was pretty weak as well um so it's not looking good for the flash elemental also the lowest opening for pixar film since the original toy story of course that was 30 years ago so way more money in 20 uh, 1995 dollars than now they're hoping that that elemental might have a little bit more uh, legs on it because it, it had a very good uh, like critic critics reception and cinema score so it maybe it'll have some staying power, but uh, the newcomers are really getting hit this week. Two different studios, two different films, uh, two different problems. Uh, for The Flash, there's a number of reasons it couldn't be doing well. Number one, general superhero fatigue, right? And this is not a Marvel film. This is coming out of DC, who's not putting out movies nearly as often. Is not as much of a general thought in the American film-going consensus, I think. People are like, oh yeah, they made a Batman movie starring Robert Pattinson, and there was a Joker movie. But like, they just they're, they're a little disparate, right? Uh, number two, you got the Ezra Miller uh, problem. Ezra Miller has a number of <laughs> legal issues that are being worked through. Uh, that's a whole ball of wax. We've covered it on the show in the past. Number three, and I think this is one nobody's talking about, but Andy's right. Spider-Verse came out like two weeks ago, and that was a rockin' comic book movie. That movie's awesome. We covered it on the show. We talked about this at the end. I think that movie directly impacted this movie's ticket sales because everybody turned out for that. I, I was hearing people talking about that the next week. Like, oh, yeah, my friend said that was awesome. I got to go see it. Like, people kind of had that on their mind 14 days ago, and now The Flash is here. And it's like, I, I don't... I think, I don't know, I think there's some crossover there. There's people just not coming out for it. Uh, for Disney and, and Pixar and Elemental, though, uh, different ball of wax. Dude, they got to pick their spots better. Like, Turning Red should have been in a theater, and Lightyear should not have been in a theater. <laughs> and yeah. they're, they're putting things on Disney+, Plus, and Pixar is becoming diluted with what they're doing over there, and, and Elemental has just not had a great showing of trailers. And I don't know. I think it just hasn't generated the buzz it needs to. I think it could be doing better had they put in the work, but they just seem to not. 
any other weekend elemental would have done really well uh put it out in august september like some of the weaker months you know when it doesn't have as much competition um that being said the, the super mario brothers came out in what was it mid march or april um but some other time of the year and not going up against against a bunch of heavy hitting blockbusters yeah, uh, I, I don't know what the next thing is for Pixar. We talked about this in the show last week. Uh, Disney laid off like 75 top execs from Pixar. Uh, they've got still got about 1,200 animators over there. So like they're still working. In fact, in front of Elemental, there's a trailer for Elio, their next feature. Um, so, you know, they're not going away or anything. But like, dude, Pixar's got to get good at making theatrical features again. Uh, and Disney has to get good at promoting them. As for DC and the Flash, they're pivoting. The Blue Beetle's next, and then it's all new Superman, right, that they're currently casting for. We'll cover that on the show whenever it gets filled in. Andy, any other thoughts on this before we jump into the Flash? I'm ready. Andy is going to be taking the summary on this one. Thank God, too, because it's complicated, <laughs> and he's the comic master here. Uh, Andy, please uh, take it away. The Flash? My face. So my face. So this is the very long-awaited feature film of The Flash. It was first introduced in Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, uh, way back in 2015 or so. Um, his character was first in that. He was also in Justice League and uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. And this project is, has been like 10 years in gestation. Like, it's changed hand, multiple directors. It was scrapped at one point. It was Ezra Miller helped to revive it. Uh, finally got attached to uh, be directed by Andy Mus- Muschietti. And uh, it's finally here uh, after like, nearly, nearly 10 years. So our story is Barry Allen, the Flash. Uh, he is trying to get his father out of prison who has been uh, kind of framed for the murder of his mother. This is really like origin backstory stuff that we haven't really heard of until now. Um at one point, uh, Barry realizes he can run so fast that he can run back in time and that uh, he, he thinks, you know, I can change the past and I can uh, save my mom's life. I can get my dad out of, out of prison. Bat- <laughs> ben Affleck's Batman make, makes a brief appearance, says, no, don't do this. This is a terrible idea. You don't know what the consequences could be. Uh, he does it anyways. He, he manages to save his parents, but in the meantime, he corrupts the, the universe he's in and uh kind of creates a universe without superheroes and runs into his alternate self, uh, runs into a new Batman that we've seen in the trailer played by Michael Keaton, uh, resuming the role 30, <laughs> over 30 years uh, since he, since 1989 when he originally played the Batman. Uh, up is down, left is right. The, everything is wrong with the universe and they have to try and fix it and make things right. And uh, Barry has to try and return uh, to his past. And that's our that's our setup, Zach. What do you think? So I, I think a lot of people are skeptical about the Flash. Uh, I myself was skeptical about the Flash. You can go back and listen on this very show when we joked about Ezra Miller getting a scriptwriter for the Flash to try to get it off the ground because DC was shaky for the last couple of years now, and this movie was not a sure thing. Of course, it finally gets made. Uh, there's a whole lot of controversy that comes on the other side of it, courtesy of Ezra. 
but now here we are. We have The Flash. And I think like it would be easy to say this movie's not going to be good. It'd be easy to say, hey, I don't want to support it for personal reasons. Like I totally get that. Respect. But on its surface, like on its face, I think The Flash is a good comic book movie. I don't think it's bad. I've been really surprised at some people saying it's like horrifically bad and oh my god it's so terrible and the worst comic book film and i've also been surprised at hearing people say it's the best comic book movie ever it wasn't james gunn but it was i forget who exactly said like this is the best superhero movie of david zaslav said that yeah the ceo of, of warner discovery very convenient for him to say his new superhero feature is the best superhero feature ever uh it's not it's definitely got problems but it's a surprisingly fun script uh the time travel aspects of the flash and how they work combined with like a really bouncy screenplay makes for a movie that moves really fast uh no pun intended uh for two and a half hour runtime like you wouldn't know it it's snappy it works there's lots of action there's fun set pieces like solid comic book feature like i have few complaints about the flash andy what'd you think uh, I thought it was a mixed bag. There are things that work about it, and there's, I think, a whole lot that doesn't. And this is coming from someone who... I'm a, I'm a huge comic book fan. I read a lot of comics. I'm the target demographic for this. And I was more or less kind of disappointed. Uh, the, I, this, the second half of this, I think, is better than the first half. Uh, when Barry first goes back in time and runs into young Barry, it's basically back to the future with superheroes, except it's way less interesting and there's this whole weird like three stooges uh slapstick comedy happening like the first hour and it it's frustrating because you know what the flash does the flash is fast and somehow you're having to retread an origin story be like well barry these are your powers this is well you can't just run you need a suit you know And, and it's like you're somehow going backwards in the in this movie to kind of tell a bit of an origin story and I thought that that first hour was really dull. It gets a lot better when Batman shows up about halfway through Michael Keaton's Batman. Um, and we eventually run into Supergirl. It gets a, a little bit more interesting, but it's got a lot of problems. And I think when you're depending so much on characters like Batman, like you have two Batman men in this movie and Supergirl. And it's like, is this even a flash movie uh, anymore? Uh, so there were things that worked and things that didn't. Yeah, that was one of the things that was so surprising about the trailer for me. Um, there hasn't been a proper Flash origin movie uh, in the DC universe, so it's not really clear how this Flash got their powers, but he's been around. He was in Justice League. Uh, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice maybe shows up. I don't know, some other one. And uh, watching the trailer for this, yeah, it's like half a Flash trailer, but then it's like half from Michael Keaton's Batman. They got the Danny Elfman score. He says, let's get nuts, right? Like it's, it's, got, all, it's got all the trimmings of classic Batman. So the trailer is like split down the middle. On one half, it's a Flash trailer. On the other half, it's Batman. Batman's on the poster. Batman's in the teasers. Like Batman's all over the place. Additionally, a little bit of Superman mixed in there, right? Uh, uh, with the introduction of Sasha Kale as not Superman, but like a multiverse alternate version of Superman, right? Functionally, our, our warrior from Krypton. Uh, all three of them get lots of screen time. Uh, they, 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 they make it a big effort to be like, look at, look at all these different properties we're bringing in for, for fun and celebrating 
like superhero stuff. And like, it's hard to appreciate that. Cause this is the studio that made space jam, space jam Two, like the most soulless marketing gimmick, like attempts at features, uh, space jam two more so than space jam one. Um, watching this movie, like you can't, you can't you, like, it's fun to see these characters interact. Sure. But you definitely like realize a lot of it is just like, box office bait right like just like whatever whatever gets people in seats we're gonna put batman in there and we're gonna have superman in there um they've been doing this since batman v superman dawn of justice right don't give batman a proper proper origin movie just jump right into you know the, the big fight um and that that's a bit of a thing here but but i should say one of the things that works really well is uh all of these like actors and actresses uh ezra miller is good in this movie like tragically good if, if you're if you want us to, if you wanted us to slam ezra miller like i have bad news ezra miller's fine in this movie uh he plays they play two different berries uh uh two different barry allens um interacting with one another one's a little younger one's a little older one's like cool dude great like all thumbs up the other one's like i gotta figure this thing out and get on top of this um, this dynamic uh, that that Flash has that is most effectively seen, and I think Superman, uh, Spider Man, is um, Flash is strong when they're doing their superpower thing, but Flash is weak when they're a human. Right? Barry's always running late. <laughs> Barry can't, Barry's never on time to things, which right, which is funny and and comedic uh, because Barry is the Flash, right, and can move very quickly, um, and it creates this like weird like tick of a person who's uh like nervous and like twitchy <laughs> and has a big appetite and like flash ends up being like a very likable character like it's 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 very well done i know there's been lots of comics and tv series so they've got a lot of room to draw on but like the core core conceit of flash batman supergirl all solid all fun characters yeah w- once we get uh, everyone kind of together it's a more interesting uh movie they all like Batman has a lot of personality, like Michael Keaton's. His he kind of has this very smug uh, Batman wit, which I like. Sasha Calle doesn't have enough uh, to do in this movie. Uh, tragically underutilized, but she's great. And she 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 has a few really good lines that she delivers with like Shakespearean seriousness. It's really great stuff. I, I to me, Barry Allen's the least interesting person in in his own movie, and it's because they can't really decide what kind of character they want him to be. You know, he's kind of doing a little bit of mentorship because he's supposed to be older Barry, helping younger Barry. But he also, I, I don't know, he doesn't have enough of a defined personality. And that's what really in the movies, that's what our superheroes are really defined as. When you look at Marvel, when you think of Captain America or Iron Man or Thor, they all have very distinct personalities that, you know, outside of like their superhero abilities. And Barry's just sort of a wet blanket. And I don't know why they made him just like, the butt of the joke and he's just kind of like a walking moron. And it, it's like, I mean, they don't write him like that in the comics. Like he's on the level with everyone else. Like, I, I don't know. He's like a child and they decided to do that with not just this movie, but all of the DCEU. And I don't know, just kind of a, a wet blanket. Uh, but the action scenes I think are where the, this really works kind of the best. Yeah. Uh, the action in flash is a lot of fun. 
it does come at the expense of some grading CGI. We should talk about that in a minute. But for what it's worth, uh, in a two and a half hour feature, like you've got to keep people interested, right? And you got to have good ebb and flow of like high high intensity moments and then like low relaxing moments so people can get up and get a popcorn refill or go to the bathroom or whatever, right? Like you can you can kind of breathe. Uh, and Flash does a really good job of moving through excitement because you've got time travel. And who doesn't love time travel, right? Like, I'm a sucker for Back to the Future. I love those movies. Like, and this movie not only is very much like Back to the Future, but like directly references it. Like, they, they talk about it at one point. Um, and it, like the time travel stuff gives you the opportunity to upset setting for your viewer. Uh, so people watching don't know what time we're in, don't know what place we're in, don't really know what setting we're in or what we're going to find next, right? Around every corner is a mystery box or anything could happen. Um with that, of course, you also get like the multiverse, which gets complicated. Like I was almost expecting to see the Marvel CGI multiverse tree, like the white like tree with a bunch of strands that they got that they're putting in like every movie now to be like the multiverse. Um, this doesn't quite do that. It's visually distinct. Um, but you get a lot of moments of like traversal through time, which Barry does with this like running thing where he kind of goes in reverse, not even really explained. Uh, on top of that, you get a bit of an origin stuff with how Barry got his powers. That's exciting. And of course, a big battle at the end, right? You got to have the big, you got to have the big something at the end uh, when, when General Zod uh, returns from... <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess arrives on this alternate alternate multiverse Earth that Barry's on, and they have to try to team up and and figure that out. I feel okay saying that because it's in the trailer, not to be spoilery, but uh, I think we need to talk about CGI probably because I've heard a lot of people yeah. roasting it for that. Some of the CGI in this is atrociously bad, and it starts from the beginning. Like, th there's a big action sequence at the opening where the Flash uh, has to rescue people from a falling building. Um, he rescues some babies and it's just like the most unconvincing thing you, you could ever see it doesn't it doesn't even look like a car like please just do this in animation be, be like full be fully animated because it just looks so bad and unconvincing yeah it's funny I, I was reminded during that sequence of uh, one of the Sonic the Hedgehog movies I think the first one because um, there's a sequence in there where Sonic has to like dodge a bunch of missiles as he's running up a mountain or something. He's running up a building and he has to, so he like, it goes in slow-mo and he ends up jumping around on these things, but it's like so much more fun and a lot shorter. <laughs> this movie, meanwhile, the sequence is like way too long and somehow you make Flash saving a dozen fallen, ba dozen fallen babies dull, which is like hard, hard to do. Uh, but I do think it's imaginative, like in the right places. But yeah, some of the CGI is laughably bad. Just the opening, these opening run sequence, I literally laughed out loud in my theater because I couldn't believe how bad it was. I was like, oh no. And I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't want to go into this movie ready, ready to, to riff on it. Right. Like I was not ready to rip on the flash when I walked in. I, I had low expectations, but I was not planning on like audibly laughing. Like it's some of, some of the CGI, it, like too, too big in scope. I think they would have to spend another half billion dollars like to make the CGI in this movie look awesome. But well, you, you, yeah, yeah, you have to make some decisions, and one one of them is like, yeah, it's cool to see the slow mo stuff, but you you should do that very very rarely. For the most part, the Flash should just be moving fast. You should just see him moving around at super speed, you know, saving people or you know, stopping the building from falling that that sort of thing. Uh, we don't need to see it in slow mo unless you're going to do it really well, like uh, 
Quicksilver, I guess, in yeah. the X-Men movies. There's a couple of... There's, like, literally, it's just one scene that is phenomenal that, that kind of happens in each movie. And they only do it once, and that's all you need. The rest of the time, you just know he moves fast. And that's what they definitely should have done more um, more of here. Uh, so, they, But it... Man, it looks bad. And it looks bad the longer it goes. Like, there's some sequences later in the film that it's, like... What are you guys doing? What did you pay for? And part of it, it's like you're animating people instead of just using the character. Like, like you can tell that like Michael Shannon's face is just being like put over a bo- a body double or a stunt double, um, and a lot of it just looks bad. Or when you're trying to like look at multiple timelines and, mul- and multiverses, like you could have just gotten the real actors and you know cut pasted whatever to make it look like a dozen different timelines but they just try to animate all these things and it just looks so bad in the cgi yeah i mean one of the things that i love the most about the old back to the future movies is they're like special effects marvels right like rob zemeckis making those features uh he would go on to do who framed roger rabbit which is widely regarded as like one of the best in practical effects like for uh special effects like before using computer animation really um this movie tries to have that same effect but it just goes for the computer animation and there's a lot of scenes where like young barry is behind old barry and like if you're looking he's he's out of focus we look at him like his face is pasted on there man like it's not (laughs) it's not that deep they didn't do any like split diopter frames or anything to like put ezra miller in there twice and they didn't have him like grow his hair out over four months to shoot the other side like they just you know they use wigs and cgi and like it's fine. It's fine. Like I, I'm looking for those things, right? I watch a lot of movies. Like I, I don't think the average moviegoer is. I think the average moviegoer would have a really fun time with this, but people just seem really mid on it. Like people seem really mid on Flash, and it's not great. It's not a great comic book movie, but it's good. Like I think I think Flash is is fine. I really do. I it's it's very it leans really heavily on its gimmicks. Like I said, this feels more like a Batman movie or a team up movie than it does a Flash movie. And uh, one thing that uh, Lord Miller of, uh, you know, uh, producers of the Lego movie and Across the Spider-Verse most recently uh, were quoted in saying, you know, you superhero movies can't just be about cameos and Easter eggs. Like you can't build a whole movie or a whole franchise or a whole universe on on that. And they're absolutely right. And that's exactly what this movie feels like. It's like, oh, if we just throw enough shiny objects on the screen, people will come. And it's showing that, hey, that's not happening. You have to have a really compelling story like across the spider-verse that uses the multiverse and these variants of the characters to tell a really compelling and engaging story instead of just like shiny fan service yeah uh i i think it does a lot right but andy's ultimately right like it 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 feels like it's it's in the later half of like weary fatigued superhero movies like it doesn't feel particularly fresh it doesn't feel particularly new i think there's a lot working for it but yeah it feels like it should have come out like pre-covid this is not i think what people are looking for um and they want something exciting something different right like spider-verse i think phil lord and chris miller are right on the nose um that being said like i think it does things well it's just i don't know i think people are tired of it you know like i don't (laughs) i don't think general audiences uh want this um any other thoughts on this for recommendations, Andy? Oh, I had one other thing. I want to talk about the soundtrack, but what what do you got? Anything? Uh, one thing that I that I had heard uh, someone say was that you know this movie can't decide whether it wants to be a time travel movie or a multiverse movie, and it it's a little bit of both and kind of not doing either one super well. 
Yeah. I, uh, I kind of agree. I, I like what it does, but I'm a sucker for time travel movies. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I was, I was surprised at how much I liked it, but I, I don't, you know, no, it, like any movie, it's not perfect. Andy, would you recommend, Oh, the, the soundtrack. Shoot. That was one, the one other thing I wanted to say, uh, I was just looking up who the music's by Benjamin Wallfish, uh, surprisingly fun soundtrack, like <laughs> high beats per minute moves really fast. Even in the slow bits, uh, he formerly composed Blade Runner 2049 and it and the invisible man and Shazam, like lots of great work, uh, out, out of Benjamin Wallfish. Um, I think the flash is a good one. I think it's, I think it's solid. I, I don't know why. I just, I think a lot of those sequences when he's like running in slow motion, the music's moving way faster than he is. Like that's surprisingly inspired. That's somebody who looked at this and thought, well, I want to get creative and do something special. And I think, uh, I don't know. I, I think there's something cool about the music in this movie. That's a, a small aside. Andy, would you recommend oh, any, any thoughts on that? Before I- uh, oh, just that I enjoyed like the throwback calls to the Batman 89 uh, theme. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. originally by uh, Danny Elfman. Thank you. They, oh, um, they got that score in there for sure, baby. Like, absolutely. Yeah, which is another, there's, I mean, a lot of this movie's kind of nostalgia bait, which, yeah. like, it's cool to see on screen, but, like, I, I'm not going to go back and watch it again. I'll just watch the clips on YouTube. Yeah, I, at the runtime, like, a few will, I think. Uh, Andy, would you recommend The Flash? I would say only for, uh, you know, hardcore comic book uh, aficionados if you're really into the comic book films and read comic books uh, you'll you'll enjoy it uh, for what it is a lot of easter eggs in there if you're at all having a little bit of superhero fatigue I would say probably skip this one or uh, save it for streaming maybe it's definitely not you know must go out and see and it's not even unfortunately it's not even a big like uh, you know must see it on the big screen experience either in fact a lot of the CGI probably will look better on a smaller screen Yeah digitally so uh kind of soft pass i think <laughs> yeah I, I i disagree i would say go see it in a theater if you can i think it's a fun time like uh like for a comic book script i think it's bouncy the idea is relatively unique um you could certainly do worse like for comic book live action features you know even with the cgi like i think it's fun i had a few chuckles I would say go see Flash in a theater if you can swing it uh, or just wait till it, for it to show up on HBO. Like you can already see like the HBO or the Max, I'm sorry, Max front page, right? With like, see the Flash, <laughs> like play now, now streaming, you know, like it's coming soon for sure. So we'll see. Uh, with that, we normally would be segueing into our middle segment in the show. Normally we do two reviews and then we'd have one that's like a segment where we talk about new trailers, right? Upcoming things to see or uh, the death of cinema is something that's hurting the industry that we think is worth highlighting. But this week we're moving right on to review number two. Uh, it's going to be Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Back up. Oh, I thought we were boys. So Transformers Rise of the Beast is set in the 90s. This is a funny one for me to cover because uh, I am not a big Transformers guy. I've seen probably just like you or most other people, a few of them. You know, I watched a couple of those Michael Bay features. They had Shia LaBeouf running around. And I remember they had one with Mark Wahlberg in it. And there was one with Anthony Hopkins. Uh, like they, they've, they've been moving around, I think, effectively. But now Transformers are going back to the past, specifically 1994, when young Anthony Ramos, uh, playing a character named Noah Diaz, uh, is in the middle of stealing a car to help pay for his brother's surgery. 
which is uh, which just sounds so phony, like just saying it out loud. But it's fine. Uh, is stealing a car to play to pay for his brother's surgery when suddenly he discovers that he's not actually stealing a car, but what he's stealing is a transformer, uh, and he immediately gets swept into saving the universe and going with Optimus Prime and Bumblebee and friends to meet the Maximals. Uh, these 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 animal oriented transformers that don't turn into cars; they turn into like a giant gorilla or a giant eagle uh and ultimately fight the the bad autobots and save the world uh i i i again i not the biggest transformers guy uh the movie is transformers rise of the beast andy uh what'd you think um so it was all right it was i think a lot better than the michael bay uh films uh it's still a little bit uh you know just kind of suffers from blockbuster um you know, blockbuster virus where it's like a big loud thing. The, the plot is very much, there's lots of MacGuffins. It's like, Oh, there's this thing that we have to go here and get to prevent the end of the world. And then there's a big, almost like video game ending where it's like, Oh, we have to first stop this while there, this team a stops that and team B stops this. And then, you know, and we'll have, have robot fights. Um, it's very, very like, again, nostalgia bait because it's like, <laughs> The younger brother comes in and he's like, oh man, I can't beat the Super Mario Brothers game on my original Game Boy. I'm going to go watch Mighty Morphin Power Rangers with my Wu-Tang poster on the wall. It's like, we get it. It's in the 90s. Um, but it, but it's fine. It, 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 again, I think all these movies, they suffer from the human characters. The human characters are fine in this, but let's like, can we just have Optimus Prime be the main character for once? Or the robots just be the, the main characters and, you know, have maybe the human characters be, be the side because then you have to like shoehorn them in. Um, they kind of go all over the world. The evil robots come, they fight. There's some uh, good action sequences. Um, there's almost too many characters and that we don't have enough screen time for everyone. The Maximals don't really get, get a, a lot of screen time, even though they're kind of <laughs> the, the part of the big poster and the big promotional push. Um, and uh, funny enough, um, Pete Davidson's character Mirage actually is kind of the main transformer in this one. Uh, so, so uh, it's a mixed bag. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. Pete Davidson's transformer Mirage is the smallest one on the poster. He's all the way in the back row. <laughs> you can you can barely see him if you're looking at it, um, but he's on there. Uh, yeah, I I I think this movie is a lesser Transformers movie for sure. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. Number one, uh, very poor live action sequences uh it's directed by stephen cable jr who previously did uh creed 2 um before that he did just a couple of indies he hasn't really stepped into like a big budget like this and like he leaned way too hard on the cgi like he he really lazy car sequences um the live action uh, stuff is fine, but you don't really get a lot of it you don't spend a lot of time with noah like getting to know his life and who he is. The first act moves real fast and then you're right into transformer stuff. And from there it's all wide shots and CGI. Like we're just, we'll, we'll put Optimus prime in here and we'll put this character over here. And, and like, I think what I like the most about Michael Bay's transformers movies is Michael Bay knows live action comes first. He's like the explosions need to be real and then we'll dress them up with CGI and Stephen Cable Jr., and it seems like where this franchise is headed, it leans more on like 
just do get the lazy wide shot, right? Use a wide angle lens and then we'll just figure it out and post like the Marvel approach, right? We'll just, we'll do it later. We'll hire a VFX studio and they'll make this movie for us. Um, and that's a shame. Like Michael Bay would flip cars for his Transformers movies. In this movie, I think there's like one kind of car stunt where like a car runs half up a ramp and jumps off and then a cop car comes behind it and rolls. That's like it. Other than that, it's like doing donuts and parking lots and then dressing up and making them look, making them look like transformers. Um, and like, I, I know a lot of people who watch transformers movies will be fine with that. It's like the fast and furious franchise, right? Like you don't need it to be real or anything, but for me, like somebody who doesn't spend a lot of time with these movies, um, that was something I really valued. Like that was an aspect of those earlier films that like really worked. And this one just is kind of lazy in that regard. Yeah. I think you, there's only like one driving scene and that's kind of where these movies excel are the like action scenes where you're like on a highway and all the cars are kind of chasing each other. So you have, you know, a chance for the transformers to actually transform in and out of their, their car forms and shapes. And, there's like one sequence when they're on a highway that that's in the trailer, but outside of that, they're kind of just running around fighting like hand to hand comic uh, combat, which is fine. But that like that's not what we really want to see. We want to see like car stuff, car yeah. adjacent stuff, right? And like that's something Bay is super good at. Like and yeah, you like there's a lot of shoot. You sent me a sequence after we saw this from what for Transformers, Transformers movie I hadn't seen of Optimus like chasing down some dude on a highway. And yeah, like the camera is going a hundred miles an hour and it's four inches off the concrete. <laughs> and like Bay is just like swinging this thing around and blowing stuff up. And then they add CGI like, and that like, that's, that's what I think works best about those, but I don't, I don't want to get stuck on it. I do want to talk about uh, performances. Uh, uh, Anthony Ramos as Noah Diaz is fine in this movie. Like I, I don't have any problems with him at all. Uh, he is, I think aging, out of playing this like young up and comer yeah. yeah like he's not quite in high school here he's he's supposed to be like a former soldier who was enlisted and got out so he's i would say early 20s right like that's where he's kind of supposed to be and he does not look like he's in his early 20s anymore uh formerly you saw him in in the heights and hamilton he's great in both of those sings and dances so this is a bit of a departure for him a bit more drama um, additionally, I wanted to mention Luna Lauren Velez, uh, as his mom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's in, she's, she's Miles Morales's mom in Spider-Verse. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, same, same person. And she's, she was on set for one day. <laughs> she's at the beginning of the movie. She's at the end of the movie. And I was trying to figure out when I was watching the movie, why we were moving away from New York and why we're going to like, where do they end up? Peru. Peru yeah. and, and, and number one, that's to meet the Maximals. And two, that's so we can get out in the middle of nowhere so the Transformers can fight, right? Like you've seen the yeah. trailer. You've seen the trailer. Like you've seen that big one-off fight scene they got out there where there's all kinds of things going on. Of course that can't be in New York. That'd blow up our budget. That's got to be in, in Peru, out in the middle of nowhere so we can make a CGI battlefield, you know? Like that's just it like my eyes glaze over man like i just i'm so like that's where the movie loses me you know and it's a shame like i i think transformers movies you should get more invested as it goes for me like after the first act i, I got i got less you know yeah and movies like these they they really need to simplify the plots and they always end up doing the opposite like there's this whole thing about there's this secret key that's the the key to go home uh that they that the transformers are trying to find but if the bad guys get it then they can destroy the planet and then like the the last third there's like i said it's like a video game it's like first we need to do this so then we can do this so then we can do this so then we can stop the machine and then we can save the save the world and it's 
it's a huge, it's like MacGuffin after MacGuffin instead of having like, let's develop an actual conflict here that we can like flesh out and like base our characters around. And I mean, I, d- I don't know why I want the, these to like be, be Shakespeare, but it would like, it would really help if you, if you like, you know, let, let, let's try to develop some real conflicts of, of yeah. interest between parties or something. If you're not going to have like these over the top action sequences. Yeah. I mean, that's something I think like, that Michael Bay laid down in those old films that like really has gotten us here. Right. Has built the franchise. Like Bay treated those movies like they were super serious. He does the same thing with all of his movies, right? Ambulance is a super serious like movie from Michael Bay and, and uh, God, what's that movie with the rock? Uh, him and Mark Wahlberg. I don't know. They're both Pain anyway. Pain and gain, yes. Like, even though they are goofy on the surface, like, Bay is, is like, these things are, like, biblical to him. Like, he's like, I'm going to present this as, as straightforward as possible. Um, and I think, like, that's what keeps Transformers grounded, and this feels like a cartoon. Like, I, and I agree, by the way. Like, it's time to just give Optimus Prime his own movie. Um, even though I do think his voice actor, I don't remember his Peter name. Peter Cullen. Dude, he's got to retire. Like, I know, he, <laughs> I know he's the voice of Optimus, but like, he sounds a billion years old. And I know Optimus <laughs> is supposed to be a billion years old, but like, dude, he's he sounds he sounds like Carl from Up. Like, he sa- he sounds so old. <laughs> oh my God. Like, you, you can hear his wheelchair squeaking in the background. Like, <laughs> my, let that man rest. All right. Like, let, let, let t- take it easy. Um, yeah, meanwhile, if, if, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say uh, Optimus Primal, voiced by Ron Perlman, sounds so much better. He's the more convincing voice. Yeah. Like, and, and like, if, yeah, if you're looking for somebody new, like, I hate to say it, but, like, Pete Davidson's Mirage is a fine Transformers character. Like, he's snarky and young and, and, and kind of mouths off. And, like, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that character has been in Transformers before in one fashion or another. But, like, even he is more fun than, like, Optimus Prime, who just sounds like a billion years old, man. Like, just... Like stop, hang it up. You don't. You don't sound like I feel like Optimus Prime sounds in my head. It's it's like uh, it's like using what's his name, the old voice actor for Sam Fisher in the Splinter Cell games. Like you guys gotta you gotta upgrade here. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of Transformers fans who are gonna hit me in the comments for it. But uh, any other thoughts on this for recommendations, Andy? I don't mean to just like slam it and leave, uh, but I, I do wanna. I was just thinking about some of the action. There are moments, uh, a lot of times, like in the middle of a, you know, the the climax, there'll, there'll be like a very hype moment. I uh, think of in uh, Endgame when uh, Captain America picks up the hammer, uh, things like that, or when the portals open and everyone comes through. There's a couple of moments that are supposed to be like the big hype moment where oh, something you didn't expect happens, um, and when they happen, you just kind of roll your eyes. <laughs> like there's several moments that are like this. This is it. This is like your big surprise. Um, there's a couple of those, especially, uh, some eye rolling stuff in some post credit stuff that is supposed to get you oh, excited okay. for thing, things to come. Yeah. And I couldn't have, my eyes almost rolled out of my skull. Like, <laughs> um, and, and it's like, you could, you could argue that it's a kid's movie, but a lot of this is like, it's, it's nostalgia, it's eighties nostalgia. So it is aimed at like an older audience. Um, so I don't know, but it has done better business than both Bumble, the B- solo Bumblebee movie and, the last Transformers movie, uh, the last night. Uh, so they're going to keep making these because it's, uh, I think, a financial success for for what it is. Yeah, like, great for Transformers, right? Huge W. Uh, any other thoughts for recommendations? Uh, no, I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Transformers: Rise of the Beast? 
I think I would say save it for streaming. Uh, it's definitely better than the last few Transformers movies we got. It's not quite as good as Bumblebee. I don't. I don't think it's it's not too long, uh, which helps. I think it's right right at two hours. There are some fun action sequences. Uh, Pete Davidson is surprisingly funny and good as his new newer character uh, Mirage, who's the the, the Porsche car. Um, some of it, like the plots, all over the place. Uh, the action isn't as cool as some of the previous films, but uh, you know, it's if if you're interested in this, I would say save it for streaming. I would say skip, man. Like I know I'm not <laughs> wise on on Transformers movies. Like maybe the last few have been bad, but like I just don't think this is the best showing for this franchise. Like I'm I'm sure there have been better. Um, it, like it reminds me of yeah, like one of the middling Fast and Furious movies. Like you could completely skip this movie and probably miss nothing for whatever's coming next. Like it just feels really segmented. It's set in 1994. Like I don't think there's anything in here that's like vital to the franchise going forward, unless it's the Maximals. But like when when Gorilla Ron Perlman shows up in the next Transformers movie, you're not going to need to have seen this one to get what it, get what's going on. You know, you're fine. Uh, Transformers: Rise of the Beasts. Middling at best, in my humble opinion. Uh, with that, we got one more movie to get to. Like I said at the top, we don't normally do three movies on this podcast. It's summer blowout. Uh, we got to talk about this one. Andy's going to take the summary. Please, Andy, take it away. Elemental. Why do they even have these? Eh, who knows? So this is the latest release from Disney Pixar. Um, after a year since our last film, which was uh, the Lightyear solo film, uh, we meet Ember very early on in Element City, which is a city of the different elements, fire, earth, wind, water, this missing heart for a Captain Planet. Uh, but uh, th- this is not kind of a mixed city. Element uh, City is uh, not really built for everyone. Uh, we, th- we see that the, the fire people have kind of are kind of immigrants here. They've come from the fire land to settle in element city but uh, they're not really welcome when they first come and they have to kind of settle in more dilapidated parts of town and very slowly over time build up their life uh uh ember and her family build this uh kind of fire fire store uh, where they sell fire supplies to other fire people uh eventually what one one day uh, the way we set up, uh, Ember is meant to kind of take over the business from her father, but we don't really know if that's what's right for her. She eventually runs into Wade Ripple, uh, played by Mamadou Athey, uh, who is a water person and who uh, immediately <laughs> and works for the city and writes her a bunch of tickets and said, hey, we got to shut this business down. This is uh, not Things aren't up to code. They fight, but they eventually kind of have to work together to solve problems on both sides uh, of their family and uh, kind of overcome differences between like their families and cultures uh, in, in element city also <laughs> strangely about infrastructure weaknesses. Uh, hmm. But that's, that's kind of our, our plot. Zach, what did you think? So elemental, I think had a very middling trailer. Um, and we've talked about it on the show in the past weeks. If you've been listening, like uh, the trailer for this movie does not look outstanding. It looks very flat. It looks like a generic summer kids flick. I don't think any kids are getting excited watching the trailer for elemental. Um, but Pixar has a tendency to kind of ch- give you a peek into what's going on. And then you actually get into it, and discover there's a whole range of emotions involved and it'll tug on your heartstrings and make you cry in the theater. Right. Um, doesn't always work. Sometimes they hit, sometimes they miss. 
And I feel like in that sense, in the way that Elemental is going to like bring you to your knees and make you like question the life you've led, uh, it is not one of those Pixar movies. I, I don't think it lands that way. But also, on the other side of that seesaw, uh, Elemental's better than it looks in the trailers, for sure. Um, I think the trailers for this movie were weak, and of the couple that I've seen, both of them seem to follow this kind of like this like line that that Wade and Ember are friends. Oh, they're friends, and and Ember doesn't have to listen to her dad, and she can do what she wants. Isn't it great? Elements, right? Elements don't mix. Yeah, they do. Mom, it's called chemistry. Like just kind of a generic like approach, and it turns out like. It's not that at all. Uh, Elemental's uh, surprisingly romantic. Uh, when we finished, I, I told Christine I didn't know this was a rom-com. And she was like, it's not a rom-com. I was like, it is. Absolutely. There's, it's got hallmark scenes of a rom-com. Like, very much so. And also, like, a surprisingly poignant, like, statement on where we come from. Right. And how we interact with others who are different than us. And it would be easy to say that it's just doing the Zootopia gag. Right. Like I I said it a lot going into uh, this episode that it looks just like Zootopia and it's just a city where a bunch of uh, elements that don't mix have to learn to interact with one another. But like surprisingly, it's it takes a different spin in a way that I think is fresh enough that it can stand on its own. Um, And I'm excited to talk about it. Andy, what did you think of Elemental? Yeah, I liked it a lot more than I thought, uh, and I—I uh, I mean, it's not the movie that's been advertised. Like I, the rom-com aspect is just part of it. It's really more of a kind of this immigrant story and of this this idea that as a second generation, uh, you know, s- uh, offspring of immigrants, that kind of this pressure that a, a lot of um, second generation people feel to kind of just follow in their parents footsteps and do because of the sacrifices that came before you even though it may not be right Uh, because we see that ember doesn't really like working at the store she's very short-tempered uh she's just not good with the customers but she feels like she doesn't have a choice she feels like you know her father works so hard her family works so hard sacrificed so much to come here and that she she feels like she kind of has to do what they envisioned for because of their, their sacrifice. So it's a very, I mean, it's a, that's a very complex thing, uh, kind of topic to deal with. Also the, this idea of, you know, they say early on in the film, you know, the city's not meant with fire people in mind, uh, cause the city is mostly built for the water people and, and the wind people and the earth people, but not fire people. So there's a very, like, it's kind of about segregation <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, and just, Kind of like you can code this very much to places like it reminded me of like the Bronx in the 1950s and 60s when they just decided to put a freeway through it and it didn't matter how that affected the people. And that's kind of the situation here where the, the fire town is just kind of being neglected by the city and it's kind of falling apart be, because of that. So there's a lot of kind of serious subtopics um, running underneath this. Yeah, uh, it's really obvious that this is a story about yeah like people who are different right like our 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 kind of like group of fire people live on the like on the underside of uh of element city like there's a really great visual of this like tram that runs on this bridge over like fire city and it's a water tram and water dumps over the sides of it and all the fire people have to like live far away from it and they resent it and ember sees it every day and she's like oh like stupid like completely different from me don't care about us right like it's like it's like it's like mud flying off wagon wheels and the the issue of like generational 
I don't want to just use the term trauma, but fundamentally, like the, the feeling of like, well, my parents did this for me, so I have to do this for them, right? They've sacrificed for me, so I have to sacrifice for them is surprisingly heartfelt because it comes from a place of, of genuine purpose. Uh, Director Peter Sohn uh, said this is based on uh, his life uh, and when he uh, was growing up and feeling like he had to honor traditions of his family, but also like wanted to chase animation and, and do something different and creative and get into like a different field. Like, he had a lot of issues with that. And, and the fire folks in this movie are, are very Eastern. It's not really clear like what culture they're specifically based on. Um, but you, you got one, Andy, you think? Well, I, I think it's, I think they purposely avoid it being any specific culture. And yeah, uh, but, but yeah, they're, they're, it's kind of like an Eastern European kind yeah, of like they, they, they come to, they come to Ellis Island. They settle yes. in what is essentially New York. And they're, they're right. And their culture is very different, right? Like they're, they, they, they paint their signs in different fonts and they live in like kind of clay housing structures and, and there are tons of puns in the shop, like frost, you know, they sell cereal called frosted flames and, and all their food <laughs> is really spicy, right? Like it's, it's, it's different. And meanwhile, like Wade and the water folks are like, uh, they live in Element City in high rises and penthouses, right? And they they have great public transportation and don't have any problems at all. And everybody's dressed very nice and they don't seem to want for anything. So you get a bit of classism. One of the things I really liked in the setting that I think is different from Zootopia, and I'll, I'll try to make this my last comparison to it. Not everybody's seen it, but Zootopia came out a few years ago from, from Disney. Uh, it's about a city full of animals. All the animals are different. And the whole big lean in that movie is predators versus prey, right? You're either... You're you're either you're either a predator of other animals or you're like a victim right and 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 trying to blur that line over like who you are uh this movie instead is about where you're from right like it's it's not it's not about like who is a predator and who is a prey it's about like where you've come from and like where you're going and how sometimes that can hold you back and i love the way that that in in element city uh Ember is not barred from anywhere, at least currently. There is a story, a flashback in her past where she wasn't allowed to go to a place because she was fire. No fire allowed, right? Like, fire's dangerous. Um, she can go anywhere she wants, but she's so uniquely alone. There are no fire people in Element City. Like, you don't see them. When she's walking in a huge crowd full of, full of, of, of these cloud beings and these earth creatures and, and, and water people, like, there's never another fire person. And she's so uniquely alone but she also burns brightest, right? She's she's the most visible. <laughs> she's fire and everybody can see her. So she like puts on a hoodie and like tries to hide and like that visual of somebody who feels so out of place in a place where technically you can go anywhere, right? Technically you're a part of this, but like you you don't you don't really feel like a part of it. It is really great. And like I thought that was really stellar like directing and and art direction um to make her feel like she's not a part of a place where she you know technically is uh, i thought that was really good stuff yeah i think the movie does a lot of good uh showing and, and not telling like one, one of the great sequences it kind of shows ember and uh her dad growing uh growing up together in the shop and you you kind of see uh the dad begin to struggle with kind of the daily task. Like they do a thing where, where they crush logs to, to, to make a, a product and that gets harder and harder for her, for her dad or her dad starts coughing a lot. And he's like coughing soot, you know, to just show, <laughs> demonstrate the aging process. It's a lot of really clever things uh, that the movie does to, to, you know, it does a lot of showing, not telling, which is always great to see in cinema. I wanted to talk about the animation a, yeah, l- a little bit because, because this is um, I mean, this is a two hundred million dollar film, 
Um, and you you see the money on screen. Like the animation uh, for this movie not getting a, a lot of uh, press or a lot of buzz. Uh, the animation's pretty stunning, and it, it does look incredible. Like uh, Ember and the flame people are constantly in just this mo- this kind of roiling motion uh, of fire, and you know it's reflected through their emotions. Like Ember loses her temper a lot, and she gets like brighter. She turns purple. Um, you know, Element City is really impressive. You you have lots of, of water effects everywhere. Um, I was really impressed with the animation. Yeah, I I I think one of the things worth mentioning for Pixar is how they always push the medium forward. Like a lot of people skip Lightyear, and one of the things I liked most about Lightyear is just how stellar it looks. Like their lighting effects, the way they like work with materials now is insane like it is so wild how good Lightyear looked even though not that many people went and saw it elemental i think mostly gets into that space uh our individual characters you've seen the designs right like you're probably familiar um are odd and and cartoony right they're 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 weird but a lot of the background stuff a lot of the environmental work is really stellar the way water flows in this movie looks amazing and i don't mean wade the water person right i mean just general water because there is a difference not all water is sentient in the world of elemental uh and the way water splashes and flows like looks really incredible Uh, a lot of the general design of the world right like you've got a lot of elements working amongst each other you've got cloud people that have their own form of transportation they use these blimps and then the earth people like have this whole subway thing like the way the city comes together is really clever, especially because you don't spend that much time in it. Like most of the movie takes place in kind of the fire town area, which is just outside of the city or really kind of under it. Um, and I think that's really clever. Like it doesn't, it doesn't try to do uh, the dystopia angle where it's like, Hey, we're going to show everybody doing their thing. And I do think that may feel a little truncated, honestly, for 90 minutes, the movie moves really fast, like very efficient pacing. It's so much so that I think they may have had some issues in post-production. And I think somebody from Disney might have been like, tighten this up. This movie, this movie's 20 minutes too long. You know, make it shorter, make it faster. Uh, abbreviate this scene. Figure out a reason for Wade to be here when it doesn't really make sense. Some of the character motivations like just seem odd and out of place. I don't want to get into it without talking spoilers. But overall, like for a kid's flick, like I think it does a fine job. The problem is like, I don't think it's, I think it's a very good kids movie. I think it's more of like a, more of like a romance. That that was that's kind of the a plot for me, right? Or Andy, do you think it's more about Element City and infrastructure and being different? <laughs> I mean, to me, uh, the Ember's dilemma with her kind of the immigrant story was the more the main plot, and then the the romance with Wade is is kind of the B plot more for me. But you know, one of the things that Pixar was known for was making movies for kids that were still very engaging for ad- adults. And th- this doesn't quite do that the, to the same extent as, you know, some, you know, things like Toy Story or The Incredibles or, or Finding Nemo, um, kind of those earlier Pixar uh, films. But I mean, that, that's a really high, high bar to me. But I, st- I think this is uh, a really good entry still. And I, I mean, I think this is probably the best of their last five, five or six releases. Yeah. I, I don't think I quite agree with that. I, I put Turning Red on my top 10 like the other year, man. Like I thought Turning Red was really stellar and I really enjoyed Soul as well. I know people that like Luca. Like I think Pixar is doing this high concept work that is really clever, but like it just doesn't bring in numbers like their earlier stuff did or their sequel stuff, which seems to be where they're headed after Elemental. I know there's Elio that we had a trailer for. It's their next feature. Um, and I know 
Bob Iger said they're doing Toy Story 5, by God. So Tom Hanks, dust off your cowboy boots, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, you're, you're turning up once again. Um, I do want to talk about the short that ran in front of this real quick. Um, yeah. Any, uh, yeah. I, I, the, the short that runs in front of this is called Carl's Date. It's about uh, Carl from Up, the Pixar movie. Uh, he is having a date. First one uh, since since Ellie passed away, God rest her soul. And his, him, and, him and his dog, Doug, uh, have to get ready and prepare uh, for him to go out and, and do this big, big thing as an old guy who shouldn't be afraid of dates. Uh, Andy, I, I have a hot take on this, but I just wanted to see your general impressions before I drop in with it. So, um, th- these shorts can range from like, I mean, where they will make you cry to, uh, you'll fall asleep. And this was kind of on the, you might fall asleep in, in the middle of it. Uh, there were people in, in my screening that, uh, thought they were, they were in the wrong movie. Like they didn't realize they were still in a Pixar movie, um, because it wasn't apparent that this was like a short uh, that this was you're supposed to see this. Um, it's a little long. I think it's like seven minutes, uh, which feels long for a, sh- a short. Um, I mean, it was fine. It just uh, it it seemed really disjointed. Like I said, a lot of people didn't know what's going on. If you haven't seen Up, it kind of doesn't make a, a lot of sense. Um, so I mean, I thought it was fine, but uh, I would have rather seen something more original. There's so many great Pixar shorts, right? Like too too many to just quickly list on the show. Uh, uh, there's so many films where something clever and original, like Bound In or Jerry's Game or that Snowman Run that runs in front of Finding Nemo, like lifted uh, Presto in front of Wally. Like I was talking about it after we watched the movie uh, just last night, and and I, I think shorts are a great idea for Pixar and for Disney because nobody else does them anymore. They're unique. They feel cinematic. They make it feel like going to the theater for a Disney movie is different than every other movie because not only are you getting trailers, but you're getting a different slice of art. It helps kind of prep you. It helps you get ready for the water when you're, when you're diving into the movie proper. Like I, I, and we live in a time of short form content. Like I think shorts is a great idea. They should keep doing it. Keep that, keep that animation going, share them online, keep making shorts. That being said, nobody's going to say this is their favorite short. Like it is, it is forgettable. It, it, it takes place almost entirely inside a house in like three rooms with some quick montage stuff. Like it, Carl's date is bad dude. And it feels like it's just advertising <laughs> for this like series of shorts they're doing on Disney plus for up. Like this is kind of the Orient and it's like, go to Disney plus and check out our, our other up, content and it's like miss like huge miss I-, I was really excited to see a short in front of this this is not the short you guys should have run like this this one's weak i mean like just dude yeah i don't know anyway uh i, I did want to mention that before we got to uh, final thoughts and andy anything else for recommendations on elemental i think i'm ready andy would you recommend elemental yeah, I would. I really enjoyed it, and I did not expect to. Like I said, I wasn't really excited by any of the trailers we'd seen or the things I'd, I heard, but it, it turned out to be a really pleasant surprise and surprisingly deep story about um, struggles of, of first and second generation immigrants to n- new places, along with uh, you know just fitting in, meeting new people, meeting people that are are different. And the animation lo- looks uh, really amazing. I, w- I was really surprised by this, so I would say highly recommend. I'm I'd say recommend if you're interested, like if you, you know, if you like Pixar and and you want to support animation and you want to, you know, go check out something different then yeah, I'd say go see this. But like it's, it's a tough recommend coming just a couple weeks off of Spider-Verse. 
like an animated feature that is like mind-bogglingly good you know like and this is a completely different style of animation it's much more traditional but elemental surprised me like i i was surprised at what it brought to the table and how sincere it ends up being um i don't think it's pixar's best it's certainly not their worst like yeah, I'd say go see Elemental if you can swing it. Otherwise, it'll be on Disney Plus in like 90 days. So, you know, you can, you can just hang out. Yeah. Uh, or God, maybe next what, month. <laughs> what a, yeah, I know. What a week at the movies. Andy, three show, three episodes, a little long on, on, on the runtime, but I think we're doing okay. What are we watching next week? Uh, yeah, it's been a, a, like I said, huge number of releases in the last uh, just three weeks. It, it will start to slow down. Uh, next week, we are seeing the, the wide release of Asteroid City, which is Wes Anderson's uh, new film. We've we've heard a lot of great things. It had a good initial showing in New York and L.A., so we're going to be catching that. We're also going to be taking a look at Extraction 2, the Netflix action film, which came out last week on June 16th. Uh, so we're going to be taking a look at that. We, we reviewed the first one uh, several years ago. Uh, and some other just FYI releases, uh, the indie film, uh, the Korean film Past Lives, and I've heard a lot of buzz about, uh, will be releasing wider in theaters uh, th- this Friday. Catch that if you're interested. And then, uh, not next week, but the week after, we ha- we have, over the 4th of July weekend, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny to uh, look forward to over the long uh, 4th of July weekend. So we'll see how that, that is in a couple of weeks. I'm definitely going to be traveling the 4th of July week, so we won't have an episode Same. that week, but I will definitely definitely think we should do Indiana Jones and then like something else. That'll be that'll be a good Mission one to come back from. Probably. Yeah, probably. Probably Indiana Jones and Mission Impossible. Uh, God, that's going to be a blowout episode. But if you enjoyed the episode today, or maybe you liked the previous episode you've done, or maybe you want to keep up with what we're doing next, the best way to keep up with your boys here at Script is subscribe to the show. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe on YouTube. Incredible things going on with the Script YouTube page. Wild stuff. I never I never imagined what we'd be doing over there is what's going on over there. I, go check out the YouTube page. That's what I'm saying. We're also on Facebook where we live stream the show every Tuesday uh, right around 5 o'clock CST. If you're available, come check it out. Leave a comment. We will talk about it on the episode. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We got a website where we're posting clips all the time, uh, offscriptfilmreview.com. And if you want to email us directly for correspondence, get get direct to the heart of what we're doing, you can email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. I think that covers just about everything. Good Lord. Episode 218 in the bag. I don't believe Ooh. it. I, wow. Still running. <laughs> Blow, running hot. Summer box office blowout. Man, uh, here we are. Uh, from all of us are off script, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.